1: We charge you a little, so naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobilecom switch.
0: Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Fiction, science fiction.
0: On KCB, FM, Los 102.3 FM Renocide. and 1050
2: AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. We are at the interview part of the show. Joining me today is author Marshall Thornton. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Marshall. So um, you've written quite a few books here. I've been looking over your resume here. Um, what got you into writing like uh, so much? Like this isn't just like a, a biography. This is a collection.
1: Um, wow. Well. <laughs> That's a complicated question. I've been writing since I was a kid, and um, I've always written. And, you know, I now I, I have – I guess, over 30 books at this point. And and part of that is that I've been making a living at it. So when you make a living as an indie author, you have to write a lot of books.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I guess you'd have to get a lot out there and and to keep the momentum going too, right?
1: Yes. Um, The way that publicity works for someone at my level is you have to hit your audience frequently so that they don't forget you. Um, and once, once they're there, you can take a little bit more time. Um, but it, it, the more books you have, the more exposure you get.
2: Right. Now, it looks like you write in primarily, you've got two um, mystery series. And so you're doing series of books. Um, when you do a series like that, like you've got the Boys Town Mysteries and the Pink's Video. So, when you take a a series like Boys Boys Town Mysteries, what are you um, are you telling a long term story about the same group of people, or is it a completely different story with each 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 book?
1: Um, I'm telling a long term story with individual stories. Um, Each book has its own mystery but then you have the characters and the stories of their lives. Um, I went to film school at at UCLA. And so I have a lot background in film and television. Um, And so the, when I write a book series, it's, it's similar to a television series in the sense that each book is
2: contained,
1: but then there's an overall arc to, to the series.
2: That's interesting. So, so you have the same characters kind of going through different things with each, each book, you might say. Yes. So now when, with these characters, where do they come from for you? Like, how do you decide, um, like, I always find this fascinating because I'm writing true crime. I do that side of it. So I, I don't get to choose my characters. So you do. So when you create these characters, do you get the ideas from, people you know, uh, family, someone you see on in a shopping mall or a coffee shop. How does that come to you?
1: Um, well, they come in different ways. Um, you know, obviously, it's, it is a lot of observation and, and things. You know, the, the Boys Town books are set in the 80s. And so I did use a lot of experiences that I had during that period and a lot of people I knew. Um, When I started writing the Pink series, which is set in the 90s, part of what I did there was I wanted to set it apart from the other series. So in a lot of ways, the main character is opposite the main character in Boys Town. So that was an interesting way to start thinking of a character is to do different things with him.
2: Yeah. How do you develop someone like that? So you have a character in a book and as they go through different experiences, how do you decide how they're going to react or or act? Is there something, is it just feel? I I find that interesting. Actually, some of it
1: is um, how I feel about other things I've read. I'm, of course, a big reader and a big mystery reader. And certainly when you write a long series and the boy's town series has 13 books and two prequels, you know, and, and by the end of it, I think, think of the character as having PTSD because he's experienced all of these things. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, you know, the bigger mystery series, the, the characters seem Teflon and they don't really react to what they've experienced. And, and that always bothers me. So I, really kind of dig in and, and think about, well, this is what he's gone through in the last few years of his life. How would you really react to that? What would you really do? So.
2: Hmm. And so do you, do you have an underlying story you're trying to tell? Like there's the, there would be the basic mystery and what's going on in the story, but is there something else you want people to get?
1: Um, Well, both series, um, have AIDS stories in them. Um, And I think it's, you know, so much happened in the 80s to people that seems important to collect. And so, you know, the main character, Nick Noack, has friends who have the virus and experiences things because of that. And then I don't want to give too much away, but it's also quite involved in the Pink's books, which are set in the early 90s in in California. So, you know, capturing those experiences um, seems really important to me.
2: So so the AIDS epidemic, so that was kind of a – do you compare that to um, kind of COVID today? Well, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I sort of look at it back in the, in the 80s. Reagan pretty much ignored it, didn't want to talk about it, and avoided it as much as he could. And I, I kind of get the same feeling with Trump. It's not like a, uh, you know, a virus of just homosexuals. So, uh, you know, uh, Trump has a different agenda, but in general he's, he's pretty much avoided the COVID and not wanted to talk about it unless he has to.
1: I, I know that in my own experience that I, I am relying on, on my experience of AIDS in this in the sense of, you know, you look at the odds, you, you calculate them, you just have to just make decisions about what you're willing to risk. And, you, and, you, and I learned, you know, not to push people, you know, people, you know, if they're concerned, if they don't want to do things, and you, you respect that. Um, you accept what their limitations are. And then, you know, and certainly everyone has a right to make their own choices, but, you know, to a degree, you know, you do have to protect people and you do have to accept what their risk level is.
2: Do you, do you think the stigma has kind of got, is it, has it gotten better um, for someone with AIDS today than it was 20 years ago?
1: Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Um, there's a lot more available. There's a lot less fear. There's less stigma. Um, and there's a lot more hope than there was. I mean, if you think about AIDS in 1990 and 1992, I mean, it was assumed to be a death sentence and you were going to you die in a few years. Um, and now I think, I mean, I've known people who have Converted zero converted I think is what they call it uh, <laughs> and and they go right into studies you know and yeah. and go right on medication and they're actually sort of prized by the doctors <laughs> um, because they have them to look at and they do very well actually so it is it is very different certainly
2: yeah do you think the community's better with it than than they were. Like, you know, if if someone's positive, um, do, do they get kind of put aside like they used to? So I don't, like, you know what I mean? Kind of, I don't want to say boycott it, but sort of almost, you know, is, 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 is there something that's attached to having AIDS within the community itself? Mm, not as,
1: no, I don't think so. And, you know, different times you know, it would kind of go back and forth, you know, it's like there were times when people were very frightened of, of anyone who had AIDS. And then um, there were other times when it seemed very chic, you know, and, and there were actually people in the community who wanted to get it because they didn't feel included without it. Um, I mean, it's interesting, the, the gay community is interesting in the sense that there's always people at both ends of the spectrum.
2: It's strange how people are sometimes. Pardon me? It's really strange how people are about things sometimes.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think it's, you know, it depends on people's individual experience and how they perceive things.
2: So, what's your relationship with your um, characters? I ask that because um, I've had so many people on doing crime fiction and, and fiction and all of this. And a lot of people are, they tell me their uh, characters are like their kids. They, they are very important to them. Uh, do you find that with yourself too? Um, hmm. I mean, they are important.
1: They do mean something. I don't really think of them as children, but um I like to think they matter, you know, they're certainly, they're kind of like, I guess I would view them more as avatars, you know, they're, they're pieces of me that I send out into the world um, to hopefully do good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's interesting. That's, that's kind of, that's good. Um, Well, uh, so let's talk about mystery. Uh, so, were you influenced by um, old-time mystery radio or old-time mystery books? Like, what? Where do you draw your um, kind of your your thriller side from?
1: Well, I think probably my most important influence would be um, Joseph Hansen, who um, wrote a gay mystery series in the seventies, eighties, and nineties he was very influential on me and, and on many people. Um, and then also I'm very influenced by Sue Grafton's books, um, mostly in this, but in the sense that she does a lot of minutiae in the characters' lives. And I really enjoy building the picture of what their lives are separate of the mystery part. Um, Cause that's where you really get to slide in little bits of history and, and things that people really wouldn't necessarily think about without the genre elements. Gives you like a lot of freedom to do that. (laughs) That Yeah,
2: no, I'd, I'd imagine. And I imagine when you're writing, um, like when you're doing these series in the eighties and nineties, you're, um, you have to uh, go back to that time and sort of emphasize what it was like to live then,
1: right? And you know, one of the things I hear a lot from readers is that they really enjoy taking that little time travel. <laughs> you know, people who live through it um, remember it, and they enjoy remembering, and they enjoy the different things that I mention, and the different places that the characters go, and the things that they talk about. Um, And and actually, in a lot of books that are contemporary, there's sort of a taboo about talking about current events. And because I'm writing nostalgia, I actually do have the characters talk about things in the way that we do. You know, it's like, for me, no one could ever write about 2020 without actually having conversations about COVID and conversations about Trump, (laughs) you know. Is, uh, and then those conversations as a writer are great because they then show you who the characters are as they take different positions.
2: Yeah, because, um, you know, I think people look back at things remembering mainly the good things. They don't really hold on to a lot of the bad stuff. So when you look back at the 80s and 90s, you know, you people a lot of times will say it must have been so good to live back then. Well, th- there were stresses and problems then, too.
1: Oh absolutely. Uh, we have a tendency to look at our contemporary world and say, "Oh my God, this is so shocking and new, and you know the divisions in this country go back a hundred and fifty years yeah, I know <laughs> they're just particularly evident right now, um but they've always been there um and it's very it's odd in many ways because um socially there's a lot in this country that's much more comfortable than it was when I was a kid although certain elements of politics were much better when I was a kid
2: <laughs> yeah but I, I think it sort of represents the time like you know back in the reagan days uh we knew that there was an oppression uh from reagan and the republicans against against gay men and stuff and and i think that um it, I guess we weren't quite as aware of it on the day to day because you, you didn't have Fox news. You didn't have the internet and all this stuff. So you would hear bits on the news and you would hear things happen, but it didn't, it wasn't in your face every single day. You weren't on like Facebook or Twitter and seeing comments constantly and people flying things back and forth. Well, yes and
1: no. Um, In the eighties, 70% of the population didn't think it was okay to be gay. Right. And that number has flipped. Now, that's 30% of the population. Now, certainly, that 30% of the population has a much bigger megaphone right now. But in the 80s, you were much more likely, I think, to come into contact with someone who would say something to you that was offensive and expect you to just swallow it. Whereas... Now they they kind of blindly do it on the internet. That's true, but you know it's like it's much. People are much better behaved in person than I think they were in the seventies and eighties.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting. Um. So, so your characters. Um, do you get into relationships as well? Do I get? Well, I mean, it's it's, it's it. They're, you call them gay mysteries. So, are we talking right. the characters are all gay and that sort of? It, it... Um, well, well,
1: I mean, most most the main characters are gay, and, and a lot of the characters are gay, and they're in different kinds of relationships. Certainly, um, Nick Noack has like three main relationships during that series, um, and then. In the Pink's video mysteries, you know, that revolves around a guy who's lost his lover to AIDS, and he's very close with his neighbors who are a couple who live downstairs from home, and, you know, they run around smelling murders. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there are straight people in all the books, but, you know, they kind of mix as you do in and out. Um, but both, they both take place in what were at the time very gay neighborhoods,
2: so, who do you think you you have as readers? Like, where, ha, do you have any sort of an idea of what what kind of people read your book? Is it men, woman, age group, or anything like that? Um, it's
1: shifted over the years. You know, I started out working with uh, several M um, slash M M/M romance publishers, and even though my books are not romance. Um, and those are were companies run by women, directed at women. And so I do have a large female audience. Um, uh, but I've over the years, I've collected a lot of male readers of approximately my own age, some 50s and 60s. And, you know, I would say a lot of my female readers are, are older too. Um, and some of that is that Readers tend to skew older. Um, I mean, I know young people read, but not quite in the numbers.
2: Hmm. So so why do you think so many females? Um, Well,
1: there is a whole genre of, of uh, romance that has to do with, with gay men, M M/M. slash M. And um, it's a lot of women who like romance books but are more interested in men than, than reading straight stuff. So, um, and they cross over. I mean, no one is a, very few people are monolithic when it comes to reading. So, you know, you can't actually go into what is typically a romance environment and say, Hey, I have this mystery and, and, you know, a certain number of people will respond and pick you up and start reading you. So,
2: Hmm. so now your, your newest book coming out, I guess you say Christmas day. Merry Christmas. (laughs) It's called cash out. Now it's part of the pinks video mysteries. So, what's the basic premise what's the idea behind it? it's book five so in these five books what is it centered around a certain story or idea
1: oh, well it's centered around um noah valentine who owns a gay video store in silver lake um and his neighbors and the people who work in his store
0: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
1: And His mother, who lives in Michigan, she comes out for the third book. And then in cash out, um, he and his friends are going to Vegas for his mother's wedding. So this one actually takes place on the road. (laughs)
2: Um, And of course, bad things happen. They always do. Uh, Well, I'm just interested. So is, is, are they, is it like a murder mystery? All of these are centered around a murder. Yeah. The, the Pinks
1: books are really kind of, they're cozies with a few liberties that I've taken. Um, Usually a cozy is not sat in a larger town, but. Because I'm focusing on a gay neighborhood, it's a little bit insular, um, and a group of particular friends. You know, they are they definitely qualify as, and they're amateur detectives, and um, it's kind of that end of the mystery spectrum. Whereas the the Jones books are much more gritty, kind of noirish
2: books. Mm-hmm. Um... So, so when you go to write, how long does it take you to do a book, roughly?
1: Um, once I get going, ten or twelve weeks, um, which sounds really fast. <laughs> I, when I went to film school, I I studied screenwriting, and we had to write a script every ten weeks. So I learned to write fast. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And so what do you? So if someone is brand new, and they're interested in writing like you do, and getting into it, what would you give them for advice?
1: Oh, well, I I think I'd start by asking questions. You know, what are they interested in? What kind of things? What books do they like? You know, I think a great piece of advice, and I don't remember who said this originally, but you know, you do need to write books that you'd like to read because you spend a lot of time reading your own work um, as you develop it. So, you know, you can't can't just write something because you think it's commercial. You know, you have to write what you like and what you want to read. That's a starting point, certainly.
2: It's really interesting. Do you have any, Did have you, do you ever get writer's block, that sort of story or a feeling where, um, you're frustrated and you can't seem to write?
1: Not, not really, uh, not in a very long time. I do occasionally run into a block with a particular book, and I have set books aside for years and gone back and finished them much later um, for that reason, but I don't know that it, I wouldn't call it a writer's block because I'll just start a different project.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you change or you do something different. Yeah.
1: I, I, you know, this is how I make my living, so I can't afford a writer's block. <laughs>
2: can't afford to stop at the same time. That's uh, so, right. But, but how does, like, when things like, okay, now 2020 comes along. You know, we've got the um, uh, Black Lives Matters and, the, and, and protests. We've got COVID. We've got Trump. We've got a lot of things going on. Um, does it, so, you know, it's kind of a little bit, you know, you isolate, there's little weird stuff going on, people are nervous, there's a lot of panic. Does that change your outcome? Does it, or does it change the way you write? Um, like, and I mean this in a sense of, okay, so you got all these dark things going on in the outside world, and if you turn on the TV, it's, you know, it's pretty negative, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, anywhere you go. So do, do you get kind of in a a darker form?
1: It does have an effect, you know. I mean, certainly when I was younger, it would, it would be hard to write during periods of stress, um, now I can have the ability to kind of hide <laughs> in my work. Um, and certainly, uh, I was trying to work on something lighter, and then I just decided, no, nah, I need to work on something dark right now. I've, I've done that. Um, although, honestly, then this is a slight change of subject, but when you were just describing 2020, I was like, God, I wish I was going to live to be like 95, because this is a someday going to be a wonderful period for someone to set stories in and, and pick up all of this great nostalgia. <laughs> you know, all, because it's so much to work with, you know, as a writer, it's like, oh, my God, that's, this is really going to be such a distinctive period to recall. <laughs> it,
2: it, it will sound almost unbelievable to people in 30 years.
1: Oh, my God. Absolutely.
2: Right. It's a lot of the stuff that comes out and, and when it gets written about, people are going to go, oh, how would they do that? That doesn't sound right. You know what I mean? That's going to be a, a common hope thing. It doesn't disappear. Because
1: if you think about it, um, the pandemics and things that we experienced in 1919 and in that part of the 20th century, they're not written about very much. You know, suddenly we're seeing all of these historical pictures of people in masks and, you know, it's, it's like, oh, my God, that was very real. People lived with this and we don't have that literature to rely on. It just didn't get written about very much. Whereas, you know, we have a ton of literature about World War One and World War II, you know, which were, of course, very important, but fewer people died <laughs>
2: Right, right.
1: So we don't really have, you know, we didn't lay down for ourselves the blueprint on how to deal with this.
2: Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of uh, unusual. It's it's strange how, what how and what people write about, and what what gets reproduced over the years. Because maybe there were things that just weren't weren't kept.
1: Well, that could be true. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, it's all unfortunate. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. I always find it interesting. Do you? What do you think of of um? If you were to go uh, back in time, like what do you like mysteries and and murder stories from the sixties? Let's say as compared to now, there's quite a difference in 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 the style of writing. Do you think um? the style was better back then or a better form better written oh, and I, um, just
1: you know I don't know that I'm broadly enough read to really talk too much about that I have most of my historical mystery reading has from the 30s you know Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler um, and I, I don't really read, I have not really read a lot of mysteries from the 60s and I do read some now but um writing as much as I do makes it harder to read because I basically read all day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you want to get away from it, yeah. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um I mean, I do really love noir stuff you know, from the 30s and 40s um and i I do like a lot of contemporary books you know i I like Michael Connolly a lot and just finished his latest Lincoln lawyer book um, hmm. but I don't know that I really can make a judgment about what's going on in the mystery scene based on the few things that I do read.
2: Where do you see yourself in ten years? Oh, at the computer by right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, maybe it'll be tapped into your brain by then. <laughs> well, I mean, are you, are you just going to keep writing mysteries, or do you think you'll reach out and kind of go into other areas?
1: Um, I have written some um, uh, kind of romantic comedy books. I, when I was in film school, I would go back and forth between rom com and and thrillers, and I. And I do, often do that. So I have a couple of different books that I've written. I've written a ghost book. I've written a book called Femme, which is about um, gender expression, um, and they're they're comedic little books that people like. So, and I've written a time travel book, which um, actually kind of comes from my like my enjoyment of nostalgia and history. <laughs>
2: Do you have, like, a paranormal side, too, or something like that?
1: Um, I don't go too much further than ghosts, yeah. I mean, I thought about, you know, there is a whole paranormal mystery genre, um, which uh, I've read books like that and enjoyed them, but I don't know that I I haven't really wanted to do one yet,
2: so. Hmm. Interesting world. Well, wow. so so, do you have a website or do you have a place that you like people to go, one place to find you and find out all your stuff?
1: I do have a website, which is author dot com, and I'm on Facebook and actually very accessible that way as yeah. well. So,
2: well, a lot of people are. It seems like nowadays.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I have you know a little author group on there and stuff. So. And I have a mailing list that you can access on my website. Mm-hmm. I'd let people know about sales and things like that, books coming out.
2: Well, that's great. That's great. So what are your outside in- influences? Do you have any? <laughs> influences? beyond yeah. writing? Yeah. Beyond writing. Outside uh, of writing.
1: Uh, you mean like things that I like? You yeah. Know I, mean? um, I like cooking and gardening and movies and <laughs> Um. Yeah. All,
2: all the good stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've actually been very into gardening. I'm in the process of hopefully building a house soon, um, and I'm looking forward. So it would be the first time I've ever lived in a house that I owned. Um, I have lived in apartments that I owned, but um, this is the first time I have my own backyard. <laughs>
2: Well, that's good. Uh, it, it gets tiring all the maintenance.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it is actually not a very large backyard, so
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it it's all great for the first while, but the novelty wears off a little bit when you have to keep on trimming and cutting and all that stuff. But yeah,
1: well, I'm actually not planning a lawn. Um, mm-hmm. I'm planting a more natural look, and uh, I'm in northern Michigan, and so. Um, a lot of people up here do natural gardens and stuff to help support, you know, the bees and the butterflies and everything that come through here. Um, and not a big fan of big lawns and having to take care of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually looking at my yard, <laughs> looking at my property <laughs> I, I toward, I don't want to work, work a lot and I'd like to help nature. So what am I going to stick in the ground and cross my fingers? <laughs>
2: Yeah, it can work. It can work. You never know. Well, well. Certainly, I've had a pleasure talking to you, and um, I'm going to put your uh, books and website up on ours so people listening can do one click, find you, um, say hi, do whatever, buy buy your book, and hey, you know, uh, cash out. So so video stores. So do you think people know what they are nowadays?
1: Well, you know, people might. Like. <laughs>
2: Did you ever think that would happen? That's kind of crazy if you think, you know, when we, back the day, you go out and rent videos all the time, and even when it went to DVD, do you ever think that would all go away? Um, not really, although in retrospect,
1: I wonder why I think that, because, you know, media has just been changing all the time since the 70s.
2: Yeah.
1: So, I mean... I guess at this point, you know, everything's streaming and it's hard to imagine how it's going to change from that, but maybe it will.
2: Yeah, things just move on. I I just didn't, uh, I didn't really, you you expect things to change, but I didn't foresee going into the whole streaming and all this stuff because you know that people that make movies and do all that want to make money, right? Right,
1: right, and it all just becomes cheaper and cheaper. Yeah, It's a problem, you know, certainly, you know, Hollywood where I worked for more than a decade, it's a mature business and it's hard for them to try to figure out how to make money, you know, because they don't have, you know, when you, when you have a new business like Google, you know, they're figuring out how to make money and they find all these different ways to do it. And whereas like a mature business, like the movie industry, it's hard to shift and it's, and it's hard to expand at the rate that the financial world wants you to.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Do you like the uh, publishing world, the way it's gone, the way it's, you know, Amazon, and then now there's a lot of other options out there. So do do you like the way that publishing's gone?
1: Um, Yes and no. Um, It's, you know, there's a lot more opportunity for indies. You know, most of my stuff, my stuff now is mostly self-published because um, publishers don't want what I write. You know, they don't want gay fiction. They don't want gay mystery. They've like decided that, you know, their model, the publishing model has shifted to the, the same model that film studios use, which is they just want big blockbusters. They don't really want to, they don't want to make money on a lot of little books. They want, you know, just a couple big ones. And they're happy with that. And so they really, you know, they've dropped whole genres that they just have no interest in anymore. Um, and so that's challenging. But at the same time, you know, if you're writing one of those genres, it's, it's not that difficult to step in and say, oh, I'm just going to do it myself
2: and keep all the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I just wonder, because there's, there's also a lot of people that just, there's a lot of bad stuff that goes out now, right? Because there's nobody to really... Um, I don't know, regulate it. Not that it, that's not the right word, but there's not a lot of people to check over things, you know. Well,
1: you know, people assume that a big publisher is acting as a gatekeeper to keep bad work out, but you know, I I read mainstream books and they're not that great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I think what it is is that they're they're crossing over now. I think that they. They have their low-end and high-end, and I think self-publishing does as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, mean, certainly if you're going to self-publish, you really have to, you know, have a good editor, which I'm lucky enough to have, and you have to be able to come up with decent covers, and you have to have people proof your work for you, you know, Um, and you have to recognize that people are going to hold you to a higher standard than they do Macmillan, you know, because they're out to get you. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> how, well, how does that, that's interesting how do you feel about uh, critics how do you feel about uh, the access that so many people have and they, they can write things about you um, um, well I
1: would tell a new writer not to go to Goodreads until you have at least a thousand reviews
2: <laughs> yeah
1: you know once you have a number of good reviews then it, then it becomes a lot easier to look at somebody and say eh, whatever you know who's being critical and you know it's also important to look at how they're being critical um going back to my education again it's like you know my our primary class was to read each other's work and sit around and criticize it and so occasionally people in reviews will say something constructive and you know i actually listen to that and so I've learned, you know, you look at certain reviews and it's like, oh, this person's just mad. <laughs> right, yeah. But at other times it's like, well, this is, you know, okay, that's a fair criticism. You know.
2: Yeah.
1: You you have to also remember that it's like, you can't take the bad reviews very seriously and you cannot take the really great reviews that seriously. <laughs> you kind of have to look in the middle.
2: <laughs> yeah. You kind of have to, yeah, you have to do it grounded. I mean, you can't be, you can't write something for everyone, right? Like not everyone's going to like you.
1: No, you can't. Um, Although, you know, it's also, though. sometimes it's really valuable to read reviews because you get surprised. Uh, I once had this straight guy wrote me a letter because he'd gotten one of my books for free on Goodreads without even knowing what it was. And he wrote me a letter about how he started reading the book and mm-hmm. and just really was interested in it and surprised and and at the same time connected with it you know it's like he he saw the commonality of experience, but he also thought differently about things um, because he saw oh that actually makes sense, you know, it's like, this is how people are different, and this is how people are the same, and he was able to to really enjoy the book, so that was actually, you know, things like that happen all the time, and it's like, one of the things that makes looking at things like reviews worth it, but not until you've got enough.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 because it can really depress you, right, it could really... Uh, throw oh, you... yeah,
1: it's not unusual for a new writer to start out, and there's enough people out there that are like wanting to get in your way that you'll have five bad reviews and that's all you'll have for a while.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you don't want it to throw you, you want to keep focused on what you're doing rather than. Absolutely. You know, some, some. Petty yeah. review. <laughs> the The answer to most questions for writers
1: is write another book.
2: <laughs> keep moving. Keep moving.
1: Yeah. It's like people say, well, you know, what do you do for promotion? Write another book. <laughs> what do you do if a book doesn't work out? Write another book. <laughs> <laughs> well, there oh, you
2: go. <laughs> it's yeah, it's all good. You know, you keep mo- mo- keep moving, you know, and, uh, and it works out. Well, it's been a pleasure. Um,
0: yes, uh, again,
2: the, we've been talking to, uh, Marshall Thornton and talking about his uh, mysteries and, uh, It's new books coming out on uh, Christmas Day. Um, Cash out. Um, Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me.
0: To find out more about our show,
2: guests, or to listen to past
1: shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for
0: you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
1: wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their
2: podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com
0: You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com